0: Well, hello, Christ Chapel. Would everyone take a copy of the Scriptures and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, doesn't matter which venue you're in or if you're on our internet campus, you do need a copy of the Scriptures. There are going to be things that I want to uh, point out that I want you to see For yourself, as uh, you may have read in the pastor's desk, we're going to cover some mature content uh, today. So if there are some smaller ears that are not ready to uh, hear that stuff or you're not ready to have that conversation with them, uh, you might want to choose to take them elsewhere or do something different with them. Uh, One time I preached on this subject uh, and I said, hey, we're going to talk about something that rhymes with Tyrannosaurus Rex. And um, I said, so if your child doesn't need to hear that stuff, go out. I realized that using that analogy caused a lot of problems because the kids were like, I wanna hear about dinosaurs. And I'm like, "Eh, yeah, sorry, mom and dad, I apologize. Um, so please, uh, you might want to go ahead and make that uh, a priority to you to uh, take your children where you'd like. But uh, speaking of children, uh, the ministry year, as we just talked about, uh, is starting up for Christ Chapel September 1. But obviously, routines start up in the fall, and we need your help in children's ministry. Uh, when that routine starts back up, uh, some of the folks that might have been on vacation with kids, etc., everybody comes back all at once, and we need your help. In fact, we need 29 folks at the the Fort Worth campus, we need 26 folks at the West Campus, and seven at the South Campus to minister to those kids and raise up the next generation. And the fun thing about serving in children's ministry is the children are not the only ones growing. Uh, those folks that serve in that ministry will tell you they are growing in their walk with Christ uh, as well. So uh, you want to be a part of it. I know you want to be a part of it, and it will bless your socks off as much as it will bless those kids. So if you want more information on what that looks like, we have various roles that you can serve in. Please go to the children's welcome kiosk right after the service, and you'll get some more information. Okay? All right, sometimes I like to ask you guys uh, about television shows you watch. I know some of you this season have watched The Bachelorette. Now, I have not watched this season of The Bachelorette. I have watched The Bachelorette before. You, you all know that, but I haven't watched a lick of it this season—not one, one second of it. Uh, but uh, Katie—I think her name's Thurston—she made headlines whenever she was previewing this Bachelorette uh, series, and she made headlines because she said that she was going to be in having a lot of conversations about sex positivity. It was a new phrase that I had never heard of before. Essentially what sex positivity what meant to at least her was that she was going to be having casual conversations with potential partners about what sex meant to her and what it could mean to them. To normalize the conversation so it wouldn't be so awkward when they got to that point in their relationship. Uh, when she made headlines for that a lot of people obviously had different, various opinions on it. But one therapist said that she was very thankful that uh, Katie was setting this tone about sex positivity because, and I quote, so often sex is seen as a sin. And I thought, that's so interesting that a, a secular person would use a religious term like sin. Like, what what does that term mean to her, to, to that particular therapist. And it's the, the, the waters has become muddied in our world as far as what sex is, what sex means, what is in bounds, and what is out of bounds. Now, I'm not gonna dissect The Bachelorette. Um, that would be crazy to do um, because you don't watch it for The Bachelorette. You watch it for the craziness that goes on inside the house. I know why you watch it. So I'm not gonna dissect that. But we do need to talk about what is bounds and out of bounds in our world because this conversation is not a casual conversation. This is a sacred conversation because it belongs in a sacred Space And so what we're gonna be talking about today is sexual immorality. That is the subject that we're gonna be covering in 1 Corinthians chapter six. He is very, Paul is very explicit about the subject, and so that's why I want to be able to be explicit about what we're talking about. But let me define what sexual immorality is. There's a definition at the top of your sermon notes uh, as well. But sexual immorality is the, the Greek word, and you've probably heard this before, pornea. You know that's where we get our word pornography from. But it is sexual sin outside the context of a heterosexual couple's marriage. Now, I know there's a lot of stuff to even unpack in that definition, and I will take a moment uh, to do that. It's sexual sin outside the context of a heterosexual couple's marriage. So that means anything Sexual, outside of a heterosexual couples marriage, is a sin in God's eyes. That's why he calls it sexual immorality. And I am talking about a heterosexual couples marriage. Marriage between a God-given female, God-given male. That's that's the heterosexual biblical definition of marriage. Anything outside of that is out of bounds. And I know many couples, especially dating couples, they ask, you know, especially high school, college, those young folks, they ask, where is the line? You know, where is the line between sexual immorality? What is okay and what is not okay? The line is marriage. That's the line. And that is a very clear, very clear and obvious line. So anything outside or over that line is out of bounds. And the reason why Paul addresses this is obviously because there are some things going on inside the church that, makes, uh, that is causing the church to divide over the sexual immorality that is there. In fact, Ken covered a little bit of that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago. But the reason why he's addressing it and for our purposes today is Christians cannot experience God's abundant life outside the bounds of his design for sex. Christians cannot experience God's abundant life outside the bounds of his design for sex. We cannot get our cues from culture on what is okay or what is in bounds or out of bounds. We take those biblically. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna read the whole text. We're gonna cover verses 12 to 20 so you have a context for what we're talking about today, and then we'll, we'll go back through, and I'll tell you how we're gonna uh, address this text. So beginning in verse 12. All things are lawful for me. Now that's in quotes, and I'll explain why. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but rather for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Therefore, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. May God bless the reading of his word and may our hearts be open to hear it. So let me remind you a little bit of the context of, Corinthian, uh, of Corinth and what is going on there. Remember, Corinth is a port port city that was a buzzing metropolis for commerce. People were coming in and out, bringing all sorts of ideas. They were coming from all sorts of backgrounds and cultures, all of these different things. And so many people would come in on ships. They would do their thing sexually, and then they would leave. They would take off. This was also propagated not by the come-and-go transient nature of commerce of the day, but it was also propagated because in Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love, which employed, or rather enslaved, a thousand prostitutes, both male and female, in its day. And it was seen as okay to go to the temple to pay money for worshiping the goddess of Aphrodite and to have sexual encounters with these prostitutes. That was seen as just fine. And so it was very much a free sex, free love, do whatever you want kind of city of that day. It was kind of the Vegas of their day. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. No rules, no limits do whatever you like. That's how the people in ancient Corinth saw this. And the people that are in the church now are coming out of that culture. And it just reminds me, folks, that we, I know that people are not perfect when they first come to know Christ, and we shouldn't expect them to be. They're coming from, from backgrounds and, and secular ideas that don't make sense, and that's why we were all, after we come to know Christ, in the process of sanctification. <laughs> where God is continuing to change our minds, renew our minds, and transform our hearts. And so what Paul is doing in this section particularly, is he's taking some of the ideas that were prevalent in Corinth, in the culture of that day, and he's saying, basically, they say this in Corinth, and this is the way you lived, but here's what Christ says. Here's what it means to think about sex, sex biblically. This is Christian view of that. And so the way I want to do this is I want to break down two prevalent lies that were in Corinth in that day. You find them in verses 12 and 13. And I want to show you the false idea that was prevalent about sex. And I want to, I want to even give it some christian ease and how people adopt those ideas as believers even today. But then I want to show you the biblical truth and the reason why... Paul says what he says to the church in Corinth, and then we'll eventually end up on what does Paul say? How do I take those first steps toward freedom, experiencing the abundant life that Christ wants to give us, even in regard to sex? So let's look at the first one. It's in verse 12. I told you it was in quotes, but if you'll look back at it with me. He says, all things are lawful for me. Now, that is not Paul saying that about himself. That was an idea that was in Corinth in regard to sex. All things are lawful for me. It it is lawful for me to go to the temple of Aphrodite and have sex with a prostitute. There is nothing against the law there. I I can do that. And in fact, the Christians were even even turning that around on their heads and saying, hey, I am free to do that because I am free in Christ. All things are lawful for me. You see, the lie that comes into the church is that I have freedom to do what I want because I'll be forgiven. Christ has set me free. I can do whatever I want to because I'll be forgiven. It's this idea that because we are forgiven in Christ, and I 100% believe, just to be clear, that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sins, past, present, and future. I 100% believe that. But I also don't think that when Christ pays for our sins that he says, hey, here's your laminated get-out-of-jail-free card and go do whatever you want. I think he ends this section in in a very opposite way, where he says, "Glorify God with your bodies," which is where we'll end up our time together. But this idea of "I'll be forgiven, therefore I'm free to do whatever I want" was prevalent in the church in that day, and it was prevalent, and it's prevalent even today in Christian culture. Thinking that he doesn't he doesn't care. I'm forgiven. I've got my get into heaven free card. That doesn't matter. Here's the biblical truth about that idea that all things are lawful for me. It's that Christian liberty has limits because sin has consequences. Christian liberty has limits because sin has consequences. Just because you are forgiven of your sins does not mean you are free of consequences. And and we know that to be true. If you if you really think about it, you know that you live with consequences of sin. We we all live with consequences, and sometimes God miraculously does something with those consequences, and praise God that He does. But sometimes He doesn't, and sometimes we live with that effect. And that's a very hard thing. And that doesn't lead to the abundant life that God desires for us to have in him. That's why he puts limits and bounds on our liberty where we say, I'm free to do this. And he says, no, 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 <laughs> there, there are limits to that freedom. In fact, that's what Paul, how, how he addresses it and answers it if you finish verse 12, look back at it. He says, all things are lawful for me. But then he says, but not all things are helpful All things, and then he quotes it again, all things are lawful for me, but he says, but I will not be dominated by anything. It's really interesting, I love that word dominated right there. It's really interesting what what these words mean, and you know what dominates means, I mean it is, I am mastered by it, I am subservient to it. And I, I don't, I'm not here to share a bunch of statistics because you guys know the statistics. Sex, sexual addiction is on the rise, and it's very unfortunate. And unfortunately, it's beginning earlier and earlier. Um, I could tell you again how um, pornography is more addictive than heroin, and people are dominated, their thoughts are dominated by that. Sexual sin dominates people's lives, unfortunately. And let me tell you, Christ came to set you free from that. And he can set you free from that. And I've seen him do miraculous things. That's why he's saying, <laughs> you might say all things are lawful, but not all things are, are beneficial. They, they will dominate you. Christ did not die for your sins for you to be dominated by sin. That's not, that's not why he paid for your sins. And that's why he's saying it's not, it's not beneficial. And I love the word beneficial there um, because when, when you look at the, the original context of it, it actually, well, I, I memorized it, profitable. Not everything is profitable or, or helpful or beneficial. But actually, when you look at the root of the word, what it means is it doesn't help achieve a particular end. It doesn't help, actually another way that it uses it is it doesn't help bring things together. And you know this, that if your life is dominated by sexual sin, it is not helping your walk with Christ come together, and it's not helping you and your relationships come together. You see, you might say all things are lawful for you but not all things are beneficial. Not all things are helpful or profitable. There are limits to your liberty because there are consequences for sin. And by the way, when we start saying, if you start quoting all things are lawful for me, let me just again be explicit about this. We do not take our cues from the law. God is our authority and his word is what we stand on. So to say, well, legally this is okay. The government says, this, this, it's all right for me to do this. I mean, seriously? That, that, it, they are setting the standard and cues for our Christian life? No, 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 no. And unfortunately, folks, I would not be surprised if even more immoral things become legalized in our country, in our lifetime, easily. We're not gonna take our cues from the law. We're gonna take our cues... From God's word because he doesn't want us to be dominated by anything he doesn't want us to be dominated by sexual sin and that is dominated in our bodies that's dominated in our minds which leads to the second lie that they had believed if you look at it it's in verse 13 he said food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food This was another slogan that was there in Corinth during that day, which basically what they were trying to say was they were trying to split the material and the immaterial. They were trying to say, I have physical appetites. When I get hungry, I go eat. And so when I have this desire to have sex, I go fulfill that desire. They were trying to equate just the physical aspects of the body. And what Paul is saying is, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. You see, and we even see this today. The false idea is my physical appetites must be met and it won't affect my soul. My physical appetites must be met and it won't affect my soul. It's this, it's this idea that I can compartmentalize my life. I can do this Uh, thing physically, but it's not going to affect me mentally. It's not going to affect me relationally or spiritually. And you should know this even from what we talked about in our mental health series, that God created you holistically. You see, the biblical truth is that you cannot disconnect the body from the soul. You can't disconnect the body and the soul. You can't Uh, compartmentalize those parts of your life. You can't say, I'll only do this physically and it won't affect my emotional state. In fact, when when, when you even talk about domination there, you might say, Cody, I'm not dominated by those desires. Yes, but you might be dominated by guilt and you might be dominated by shame. And I know there are some of you that are listening to me that you feel that. And that's why Christ has come to set you free from that. But part of that is you can't live one way and expect benefits in all the other areas of your life. You cannot disconnect those things. That's why he goes on in verse 13, and he says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. You see, he's talking about the whole person, That when Jesus paid for your sins, he didn't just pay for you spiritually. He paid for you emotionally, mentally, physically. He paid for you in every aspect of your life. You holistically belong to him. He paid for you in full, not just your sins in full. And so often we just think about our spiritual lives spiritually and we try to disconnect it compartmentalize, and our, uh, uh, we suffer in all those areas of our life, all those other areas. You see, if you compartmentalize your life, and you say, I can, uh, I can engage in this sort of sexual sin, then what it will do is it will stunt all the areas of growth in all those other areas. I see, I see it all the time, because what you're having to do is ignore these parts of your life to let yourself go in this area. And you basically become schizophrenic. You, 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 you have to split those personalities. And when you do that, you'll never grow in all the ways that God intends. You'll never experience the abundant life that he has for you. That's why he goes on, and if you look at verses 14, 15, 16, all the way through 17, if you look at all these things, what he's saying is, you can't just act physically and expect that to not have consequences in other areas of your life. I mean, he goes on and saying that, don't you know that the Lord is gonna raise up your body? You will have a glorified body, meaning your body belongs to the Lord. And he's saying that, hey, your spirit has already been connected with Christ. Your spirit is his. And he says, how can you then go and connect that to a prostitute? Don't you know that the two become one flesh? Now, he's not saying that if you engage with a prostitute, you're automatically married, but he's talking about the purposes he's foreshadowing here, the purposes for which sex is intended in the bounds and confines of marriage to create unity and and, uh, this oneness, a community with your spouse. And we're going to talk more about that next week in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But he says, how can, you, how can you be Christ and then go and join yourself to a prostitute? You're one with him. How can you go and join that with something that is not of him? And I just want to make a quick aside here because some people are, will hear that and they'll write it off in their head and they're like, Cody, I, I don't visit any prostitutes. I don't, you know, I, I don't do that. Okay, but think about what prostitution is it is a transactional engagement where sex is exchanged for something. And unfortunately, there are plenty of those sexual transactions going on in our world today. Whether it's you're paying to see something, that's a transactional deal. You're getting sexual stuff as you pay for it. Or you say, I'm living with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm getting room and board and I'm giving sex, all of this, trans- they asked me to prom, so I have to have sex, it's this transactional deal, so don't write it off and just go, this is just a, a, a very explicit prostitution thing, this is a, you are using sex for different things, to gain some sort of pleasure, to gain commodities, to gain money, to gain safety and security, any of those things, those are outside the bounds of what God has intended sex to be. And when you do that, when you get out of bounds, there's a penalty. There's a timeout that, ha- that happens. And that's why I'm saying that stunts the growth in all of those other areas of life. You see, when you get out of bounds, you don't experience the abundant life that God has for you in Christ. And I know many of us have stepped out of bounds. And some of you right now are feeling guilt and shame. Some of you go, Cody, I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to pull back. I don't know how to get out of this. And so what I wanna do is I wanna end where Paul ends in verses 18 and 20 on what are those first steps What do those first steps look like to finding freedom from being bound by sexual immorality? What what do those first steps look like? And the reason why I say first steps is because this is probably a process you're gonna have to continue to go through over and over and over again. And that's okay, that's all right because uh, we must depend upon God every day of our lives. And if this really is a struggle for you, it, it, it's probably not gonna flip on and off like a switch. And I know that's what you pray for. I know it. But until we see Jesus face to face, we're probably all gonna struggle with the flesh in some form or fashion. And so I wanna give you some first steps that are taken from some of these principles that Paul gives us in verses 18 through 20. So look at it those uh, few verses with me. What Paul says, because he wants the Corinthian church to be undivided in their devotion to him, but also undivided with one another, because this was affecting the church. They weren't just being sexually immoral with folks at the, the temple of Aphrodite. This affects the community. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. What that means, I'm gonna pause right there. What that means is not only that because of sexual sin, you, your body, can be physically hurt or diseased, but it also means that you are hurting your ability and desires when you can connect with your spouse where the two become one flesh. So you're not only sinning against yourself, you're sinning against your one body, which remember, we'll talk more about this next week, in Ephesians chapter five, we are to love one another, and he even says, as your own body. It's because the two are one. So the sexual sin sins against our own individual body, but it hurts and hinders the relationship that you have with your spouse. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So let me give you three very quick principles from here. And the first one is this. If you're going to take those first steps, turn your heart back toward the one who's given you his Sometimes it starts with a, you just need to turn your heart back to Him, knowing that He has given His heart for you. You see, some of you think you are too far gone. You think you've done too much, you've seen too much, and you cannot unsee things. Let that just be a warning. And you say, I've gone too far. I've done too much. And I just want to remind you, you're, <laughs> you're already not your own. He's, he's purchased you. You're his. I mean, isn't that a great truth? It doesn't matter how far gone. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son. Just because he had run off doesn't mean he stopped being a son and when he turned back he realized that the father hadn't turned his back on him and god hasn't turned his back on you you have his heart would you turn your heart back to him he is patient he is kind in fact that's what it says in romans chapter 2 verse 4 paul says to the church in rome do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience don't presume on that First of all, don't keep running away. Don't, don't see that your, your forgiveness of sins is licensed to go and live the way that you want to gratify the desires of your flesh. But he then goes on and says, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And remember, what does repentance mean? It's a change of mind. It's a turn in a direction. It's a turn back to him. His kindness is wooing you back saying, no, 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 you're not too far gone. You have my heart. You bear my image. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are mine and I want you for my own. That's why I bought you with a price. Would you turn your heart back to him knowing you already have his heart? Sometimes it just starts right there, repenting and turning back to him. And then second, Take God's way of escape to flee temptation. Take God's way of escape to flee temptation. And this is one that I'll get real practical with you. Especially when it comes to sexual temptation, we all too often flirt with temptation rather than fleeing temptation. And we allow ourselves to get way too close before you start trying to put the emergency brake on. And you've got to, saying no starts way before you get out of bed and go open up the computer. Saying no starts way before you're halfway undressed. You, You say no way before that. You flee temptation. If I don't want to go to Florida, I don't go to the airport. If, if there's somewhere you don't want to go, you don't get on the plane. Because you know where that plane is headed. You know where it's going. And too often we flirt with it thinking, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll get out. I'll, I'll jump out and pull the rip cord and parachute down. And it doesn't work that way. And you know it. And we've gotta be better at saying no way far ahead. That's why if you need accountability, you got accountability. We need to hold one another accountable. And I have guys in my life who can ask me any and every question that they want anytime. They have every right to do that. And our elders are some of those. But maybe you need a computer program. Maybe you need to throw your computer in the trash. Maybe you need to leave your laptop at work. I mean, these are simple, simple things that you can apply to your life, but you've got to know that God wants you to escape that temptation. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, later on in the book, in verses 12 to 13, he says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. This is, to the, uh, th- this is a great warning to the one who thinks they can flirt with temptation and not fall into temptation because you think you can stand, And he says, take heed lest you fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He provides the way of escape if you'll ask for it, if you'll look for it. But oftentimes in those situations, we're not looking for the exit sign. But if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever been in a crazy situation in a building and something's happened. If you look for an exit sign, you can find it very quickly. You you know where they are. They they light up. And God provides those exit signs and those ways out of temptation. And let me tell you, I've seen crazy ways that God has done that. If you will ask him, And if you'll look for those signs and depend upon him, look for those signs, those exit signs out, God will provide a way of escape. He will, he is faithful to do that because he wants what's best for you and he doesn't want you to go down that path that leads to consequences that can devastate the abundant life that he has for you. And then finally, honor God with your body who laid down his own to make you his. Honor God with your body who laid down his own to make you his. Some of you need to hear that you are valuable. You don't know how valuable you are. But if you look back at this, he says, you were bought with a price. What was the price? Okay, that's not rhetorical. What was the price? It was the cross, it was his life. It was his, I mean, we take communion on this, right? Was it just his blood? No, it was his body and his blood, broken for you. Do that in remembrance of him. Why do we not live every day like that? Knowing how valuable you are to the Lord. And you need to honor him with your body because he bought you in full. Not just paying for your sins, he paid for your mind. He paid for your heart. He paid for your body, he paid for it all. Which, by the way, you don't need to lay down your body for anyone who's not willing to make a public commitment in marriage to you. His commitment was very public to you. So to say, I'm married in my heart, not buying it. Not buying it. That That is selfish and that is unfair to whoever you're saying that to. That is not the best that God has for you. He has laid down his life for you. Would you honor God with your body? In fact, that's what we're called to do every day. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 12, verse one. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Remember, holy means set apart. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's why we are called the first. I mean, everything is connected here. Your spiritual worship is your body, presenting your body to Him as well. And the greatest commandment love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and physical strength. Everything. He's paid for everything. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, how precious you are to him. That's why he doesn't want you to go outside the bounds and be penalized, to live with consequences, to have a time out or a growth spurt in any of those other areas of your life because he's paid for everything so that you would have abundant life in him to not be compromised by sexual immorality. And so what I wanna do right now is I wanna end our time with a time of prayer. And so this is your time to pray to the Lord. I've been praying for you all week that you would hear God's still small voice in this message, knowing that there is freedom, knowing that there is an exit, knowing that he wants abundant life for you, knowing that you are valuable to him. But I want you to hear that to him and I want you to talk to him yourself. So would you bow your heads with me no matter what venue you're in? And I wanna just start with asking you, would you turn your heart back to him? He's the only one who can heal your heart, and he's the one who's bought your heart. Say, God, my heart is yours. Now, would you just confess your sins to him? Where have you gone out of bounds? The father stands with open arms. He wants his child back. He doesn't want you dominated by anything, in bondage to anything. When you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So just be honest with him. do you need the power of the Holy Spirit to flee temptation maybe you need to ask him for a miracle right now to show you the exit sign to flee and not flirt with temptation because you know that he has your best in mind he has hope and plans for a future for you there there are plans to bring you the best that he has God, as we study this undivided series, what I know that you want first and foremost is our undivided loyalty to you individually. You want our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And Lord God, when we're fully devoted to you, Lord, we can be fully devoted to one another, playing the part in the body that you've called us to play so, Lord God, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would provide freedom from this bondage that is all too common in our world. Would you, Lord God, expose the lies that we've bought into? And would you smooth out the path to walk in the truth and the light that is your word? May it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path as we follow you the way the truth, and the abundant life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.